Man, you gotta wait for the guitar part right there, right? I mean, that is such a good song. I tell you, it's great to see everybody today, and this has been kind of an uprising week. I don't know about you, we had an amazing Easter, then we had the NFL draft take place. I mean, come on, everybody's team's gonna win the Super Bowl next year. And then there was Avengers Endgame that took place. Yeah, how many of you saw it already, have seen Avengers Endgame? Okay, I've already been asked by people that, since they know I'm a visual communicator, not to use any video clips or to say anything about Endgames. All right, you got three months. That is the protocol that has been established by Geeks R Us, three months to see this movie, and then I'll probably do a series on the whole thing. But since, uh, you know, um, so since we're past the three-month thing, uh, let's see, uh, Voldemort dies. Just want to let him spoil that for you, so if you're a Harry Potter fan. Uh, Le uh, Leonardo DiCaprio dies in Titanic, and let's see, what else could I ruin for you? Um, Rudy ends up playing for Notre Dame. Okay, so I just want to let you know, you need to get on it. I'm not going to wait forever for you to find out what happens in that movie, but it is an incredible movie about uprising. Also, we want to invite you in, uh, to join us this coming Wednesday as Brian is going to be sharing with us, and we have a moment of worship and time seeking the Spirit of God uh, in our encounter service. It starts at 7 o'clock. We'd love to have you there as we go a little bit deeper with God and, and seek the power of His presence in our lives but the resurrection of Christ is a demonstration of the power of uprising. It is the power of God showing us that he has the ability, he has strength and power over our worst challenges, over the things that we fear the most, that he's faithful to keep his promises, and that he started a good thing in us, and that he will complete that good thing in every one of us. So the resurrection a message of Jesus is not only that Jesus rises from the dead, and its benefits for all of us, but also that the resurrection narrative is supposed to be built into our lives and empowers us to experience the uprisings, the resurrection in our own life, that we may have new life with him. So we are invited to it, and I love what Isaiah 60 says, and I think it's kind of our church verse. It's a theme not only because of our flooding experiences, but I think it's for a lot of us in our own personal lives about overcoming and uprising with the authority of God. Isaiah 60 says this, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and a thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. That even in the midst of any trouble that we may experience in the world, that God's power can still move in us and be seen through us. So when we look at Jesus rising from the dead, and when Jesus rose from the dead, and I want to talk about expectations today. Because when he rose from the dead, I wonder, um, did he peek out of the tomb and kind of expect things to be a little bit different? I mean, when the tomb got rolled away, and, and he comes out, and he rises from the dead, do you think when he peeked out, and he all of a sudden realized that Romans were still in Israel, do you think his, he thought to himself, ah, oh, man, I thought the resurrection was going to fix all that. 
You know, I'm really disappointed that I, I thought this thing was going to be, is, was just going to remove evil off the planet. Or when he woke up and from, the, from death, did he walk out and when he saw that Herod was still in the palace in Jerusalem and, and Caiaphas, the high priest who had him crucified, was still in power, was he exasperated? Was he disappointed? Did he walk away and it's like, well, it may be an amazing story that I rose from the dead, but it apparently didn't really have any kind of effect. I don't think he did. And I think that's because his uprising was to produce something in the hearts of people and not to manipulate the boundaries of countries. And as we learned last week, and I encourage you to listen to it on our, you can download our app and get it that way, that the presence of evil in the world is consistent. I know there's kind of new things that we're doing with this goo called evil, but it is consistent. We can, we can trace it throughout human history. It always seems to be there. But the resurrection of Jesus challenges the immovable problem or perception of the problem of evil. He produced an uprising that enables people like you and I not to live captivated by evil. He wants us to live uncaptivated by evil. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Netflix guy. I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be a Netflix guy because they're putting out some real crap on Netflix. Um, but um, it's interesting what we captivate ourselves with when it comes to evil. I mean, now we had mass murderers when I was younger. That Now they do a complete series on their life. And so we are not only aware of evil... We are captivated by it. I mean, it, it's, it's something that grabs a hold of us. In some cases, it, it causes us fear and it causes us anxiety. But in a lot of cases, we've started using this problem of evil as something that captivates our imagination, our entertainment. Um, I saw a recent major study this week. This is really interesting. I didn't know anybody was out there doing it, but the Gallup poll people seem to, to get their hands into everything and to find out how people are doing. So the Gallup poll does an annual global state of emotions. All right? So they, they interview a lot of people. They, they do some Internet stuff, and they go throughout the world to all the countries that they can get to. And they, they did a poll to find out what is the emotional state of the average person on planet Earth. Well, it turns out that in 2018, um, we tied the 2017 record for the worst level of misery in the world. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that, that we would measure stuff like that, but, but that something could actually be measured like misery. That as long as they've been doing this poll, that this is the worst misery that they have ever recorded that's going on in the world. Some of the statistics were this. Four in ten people are experiencing more worry than they have in the past. Three in ten are, are feeling more physical pain. Twenty-five percent of people are experiencing sadness about their lives. And 22% of the people that were polled are angry, just plain angry. See, people are not only experiencing difficulties, failures, and evil like, like all of us, but, but we're now being captivated by it. 
It's now something, there's a misery quotient that, that we have in our lives, and, and we're being held captive by it. And because of this, this awareness of evil around us and some misconceptions about what God's doing, I think a lot of us are losing hope. I know in America I hear it all the time, but I, I think a lot of people are losing hope because of the evil they see going on around them, but also some, maybe some misconceptions about what God's doing. So let's get back to what Jesus was really doing and saying about his kingdom uprising and co coming to earth. So when he was talking about this whole kingdom idea, first let's deal with the misconception. Because if, if you're like me, I've been running on the idea that if God's kingdom is coming to earth, that I would expect that the earth would get better. Wouldn't you? I mean, I mean we, we, a lot of people who reject the concept of God, the idea of God, reject it on this one principle. That if Jesus was uh, bringing his kingdom to the earth, then why is it that the earth doesn't seem to be getting any better? That there seems to be this persistent evil on the planet. And I think that is a concept that we all kind of get a little bit. If God really loves me, you know, or, or if, if I go to church, then, then life will get a little bit better. If I honor the Lord with my finances, I'll get a little richer. I, I think we all have a, a little bit of this mythology in us that, that the world is supposed to get better. But it's interesting that Jesus talks to his disciples about his kingdom, and he wants to make them realize, to be very clear, that this is not a biblical um, expectation. And Jesus actually tells them that the kingdom of God will come to earth and coexist with the status quo of humanity doing what humanity does. Let me, let me read the parable to you that Jesus told to them about this coexistence. Matthew 13, 24. And Jesus presented another parable to them. And he said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and to gather them up? But he said, No, least while you are gathering up the tares, you may up, root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will send, say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in the bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. It's like, I mean, he starts it off by saying the kingdom of heaven is like this kind of coexistence, this wheat and tare illustration, that in his kingdom, that there was going to be the presence of good things happening in people's life, and there was going to be the presence of bad things happening in people's life, and even bad people doing bad things in other people's lives. He makes it clear that in the middle of what God is doing in the world and in people's lives, that evil is going to go on. I don't know why we're so slow to arrive at this, because isn't it, don't we get offended by God the most when we see evil ha happen? 
I mean, as I was talking about Easter last week and I was talking about the problem of evil, there's bombings going on in Sri Lanka and in churches around the world. You know, and, and, and I know for a lot of us as Christians, you know, I remember growing up, there was a movie, a War of the Worlds. There was the old version, there's the new version. Interesting thing in the old version that's different from the new version. In the old version, back when I was growing up, churches never got destroyed. When they did, you know, John Wayne movies and they were going across the country in the Civil War and stuff, things were blowing up and all that, or World War II movies, the church was always standing there and the steeple was always there. You know, it's kind of like what we did with uh, Notre Dame with, with the idea of that cross still being there when we saw the photos of that burnt out church. But in, in War of the Worlds, I remember that they, the lead actors took uh, shelter inside of a church and everything was being destroyed. And when they come out, the camera pans back and, and there's the church. It's still standing there and it's perfect. Because it was this idea that if God exists and God is good, well then nothing's going to happen to the church. Nothing bad is going to happen. But in the Tom Cruise version, it is interesting that the first place something occurs and the first building that's destroyed is a church. And the steeple is the first thing to fall. And I, and I remember looking at that as a, you know, you know, a little bit of an older person. I was like, wow, I remember when churches weren't allowed to be destroyed in movies. You know, and, 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 but it was a mythology. And it was this idea that if, if God is real and if God is good and if God is just and he's all-powerful, then evil shouldn't happen. And here's Jesus telling disciples, even before he dies and before he rises, he's like, listen, no, I'm going to tell you the kingdom of God is not going to work like that. There is going to be evil working right in the middle of good things that are taking place. Right in the middle of my kingdom, there's going to be evil and there's going to be good. And it's all going to be taking place and coexisting together. See, he tries to prepare his disciples for the reality of the misery and its effect that it may have on them. He's really concerned about the Gallup poll saying that we're more miserable today than we were before because the problem is, is the evil's still the same, but the problem is we can't manage it anymore. We don't have the ability to, to manage this because we've, we've lost hope. We've grown afraid and you know, at, at a high point for the disciples, they were following Jesus around, and there was a lot of confusing things going on. Jesus was doing things they had never seen before, and, uh, but there was this point when they, they finally got it figured out. They're starting to look at Jesus like, okay, we get it. All right, you're the Messiah. We've figured out what you're doing. You tell these parables. We're now starting to understand what it's all about and what you're doing. So there, and, and that's interesting. It's, it's usually at that point where God begins to expose maybe a misconception of what we, we think we know. So they think they have it all figured out. Listen to this dialogue that goes on between Jesus and the disciples. In John 16, starting verse 29, he says, They say to him, Now you are speaking plainly and not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus begins to challenge them. He, he answered them and said, do you now believe? It's like, so he, he wants to get to the bottom of, of what they think they know about how God should behave. He said, now, I mean, do you, do you really believe he says, because an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, 
each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. He's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you that bad things are going to happen. And the reason why I want you to do this, I want to let you know, is that I don't want you having some false concept of what the kingdom of God looks like in the earth. So that you don't get wounded and disappointed and have this negative response to it. He's like, I'm going to tell you up front, Peter, by the end of the day, before the cock crows three times, you, you will deny me. I want to let you know that, you know, there's going to be some wheat in this thing and there's going to be some tares in this thing. But I want to give you some heads up of what's going to take place. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. And that's, that's that immeasurable that the Gallup poll cannot get. In the world, you have tribulation, Jesus said, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Now, I realize that the immediate context of this passage has to do with the impending rest and crucifixion of Jesus. But I think Jesus gives me permission to extend its context because he says, in the world. Okay, and he's, and he's talking about not just in the world at this particular moment, but your future experience. It's like in the world there's going to be tribulation, there's going to be hardship, and there's going to be difficulty. So when he's talking to them, I think he's describing what happens to the human soul when we are faced with adversity and evil. Just think about what happens to your soul, that inner part of who you are. And he used three things when he was talking to them that maybe they did physically when he was arrested. But I also think that these things kind of are something that occurs to us. He said, you are scattered, each to his own home, and abandon Jesus. These are three things that seem to be the kind of soulish response. They did it actually physically. They actually scattered as a group, and they actually went back to their own houses, and they actually abandoned the physical manifestation of Christ. But I also think though, though this idea, this, this emotional, psychological response is something that we do also when we are faced with tribulation, with difficulty, or our own failures in our lives. Um, just to kind of make it a little bit more pleasant, uh, let me ask you, how many of you here have ever been to Waffle House? Anybody? Could you raise your hand? Okay, let me ask the question a different way. How many of you here are Americans? Okay, there you go. That's, that should be the amount of people that have gone to Waffle House. Now, it was, it was funny that I thought of this while I, when I was looking at this list that Jesus had talked about. But if you've ever been to Waffle House, you know that the best thing about Waffle House is not how clean they keep the place. It, it, it's, you know, it's not like the best way to cook, cook an egg, but those hash browns are divine. Aren't they absolutely amazing? Um, it's the hash browns where the Waffle House actually shines. And the wa Waffle House actually does hash browns seven different ways. I didn't know about this. I was raised in the Northeast. I don't think we have as many up in the Boston area as we do down here. So uh, this was kind of a new revelation to me. But there are seven different ways that they, were, that they can be prepared. And you may ask, well, why seven? Duh, the earth was created in seven days. 
This is how you prepare hash browns. I mean, so it's, so it's, I mean, it's easily uh, a biblical thing here. One, there's the traditional way of having hash browns. Then there's scattered and smothered. That has onions in it. Then there's scattered, smothered, and covered. That's onions and melted cheese. Then there's scattered, smothered, covered, and chunked. <laughs> uh, and that's onions, cheese, and ham. Then there's scattered, smothered, covered, chunked, and topped. That's onions, cheese, ham, and chili. Um, <laughs> then there's number, uh, uh, the, number, the sixth one is scattered, smothered, covered, chunked, topped, and diced. And that's onions, cheese, ham, chili, diced tomatoes. And then the last one, and apparently being able to say it fast is part of the tradition, is uh, scattered, smothered, covered, chunked, topped, diced, and peppered is the last way that it can be done. Um, it's interesting. All these things are happening to one single potato every single Saturday morning. But I'm here to tell you that this is what happens to the human soul when we deal with the problem of evil. That a lot of us, our souls, our lives, our psyches, our emotions, our perception, our vision of what God is doing becomes scattered, smothered, covered, chunked, topped, diced, and peppered. Really. It's like it just does something to the human soul when we don't properly manage how we face the adversity of evil in our lives. And as Jesus described, adversity, failure, and evil have the power to scatter us. It's the power to break apart our resolve, our confidence in what God is doing. It's the perishing of the vision of God in our lives. I love the way John said it, and he said it so succinctly in 1 John 4, 18. He says, fear has torment. That's what fear does to us, whether it's the fear of retribution from God, whether it's the fear of our neighbor, whether it's the fear of crisis in the world or evil, whatever it is, but it just has this way of tormenting our souls. It scatters us. There were maybe times when we knew what we were going to do with our lives. We knew what God was going to do with us. We knew about what we should be as an individual, but fear comes along, evil comes along, and it begins the process of scattering us. We become visionless except for the imaginations of the worst things happening to us. See, where there's no fresh revelation, we're told in Proverbs, the people perish. And I think we've experienced that. When we don't have an understanding of what God is doing, the uprising of his kingdom in our lives, there seems to be a scattering that takes place. And it's not that we become visionless. It's that we no longer have a vision of what God is doing in the middle of the wheat and the tares growing together. We begin to use our imaginations to fear the worst things happening to us. And, then, and, and we even take it a step further, unwittingly. We even pay $14.99 a month to Netflix to feed us some of the most horrific stories in the form of entertainment. And Jesus says that, listen, I'm going to tell you this to give you hope. There is going to be problems in the world, but he says, believe in me, 
You've believed in God, believe also in me. And I'm telling you this so that you won't have fear in the world, but otherwise it will begin to scatter your life. And maybe you're here today and you are scattered with anxiety. You know, it's kind of like when you vibrate a surface and you have a lot of different things on the surface and you begin to vibrate the surface and it becomes unstable, as James says, a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. All of a sudden, all the objects begin to independently move about the table and, 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 you, and trying to grab them and put them back together is an impossible task. And I think anxiety, as we begin to look at the things of the world, and it's, it's not just the things of the world. It's when we don't have a vision of the uprising of Christ. That's when it's, when it's a problem. Jesus also said that our response would be to return each to our own home. It's exactly what the disciples did before they knew Jesus had risen from the dead. They went back to their to their life and hid in the familiar, in the safe. They had been walking around with Jesus and hearing about this incredible kingdom, but when they lost the vision of the kingdom, when they began to focus on the Roman soldiers and the, and the death of Christ, when they began to think about what could happen to their lives and the threats that were coming against them, they said, okay, we're going to go back to our houses and we're going to lock the doors and we're going to bolt everything down and we're just going to live this way, held captive in our own homes. No longer daring to step out for the kingdom of God. When Jesus finds the disciples, we, we find that they're out there fishing. They've gone back to exactly what they were before. You know, they, they, they weren't doing a Bible study. They weren't, you know, praying, you know, expecting to see Jesus or anything. They're still shocked when they see Jesus because that's the, the effect that evil has on us. We have a hard time believing even if Jesus is in front of us. Thomas, that's why Thomas says, hey, if he's really risen from the dead, i got to put my fingers in the holes, and i got to put my hands in his side. And, and, and why would you need such empirical data at that point? It's because grief will cause you to lock down your life and your perception. And Jesus says that's what happens to us today. Then there's the fear and the failure that leads us to abandon Christ. Now, I'm not talking about that we lose our salvation abandoning Christ. But I'm talking about that we lose our confidence in God's plan. You know, we see bad things happen. We stop praying. We stop believing. We start saying miracles were something for yesterday. Or these things don't happen to me. We begin having problems in our lives that we don't think God can forgive or that God can f fix. We lose our assuredness of God's love in our lives. We abandoned all the wonderful things that God gives us. Fear does that. But when we see the uprising of Christ and we join his kingdom, we receive hope. Paul tells us about what the kingdom of God is. He says, for the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Ghost in Romans 14, 17. He says, he says that when we see the kingdom of God and when we're a part of the kingdom of God, we, we actually step into the remedy for the things 
that caused the scattering, the hiding out, and the forgotten all about Jesus' soul. That potato that has had, it's been scattered and smuttered and all the other things that have happened to it. Jesus says, listen, but my kingdom is righteousness. It's peace. It's joy through the power of the Spirit of God in your life. See, that's what we've lost. That's what we're not grabbing a hold of when we're not a part of the kingdom of God and what God is doing. God's kingdom is not about getting control of the earth. I just want to let you know, that's it's not what it's about. If the kingdom of God consists of the universe over which God already reigns, then why would anybody have had to come to planet Earth and tell us, like John the Baptist and Jesus did, that the kingdom of God is at hand? I mean, if, if it's, you know, if God's already in control, he's sovereign, which means the word reign is built into that. He is already reigning over the universe. Then why did we have to be told about the kingdom of God coming to earth? If it's all, if we already believe in a, in a deity that is sovereign over the universe, then, then what is this about? Because we're already in his kingdom. We're already under his authority, his sovereignty. What is this kingdom about? What is he trying to accomplish? Jesus must have meant something more than, than just the concept of God fixing the earth. Because God has always been sovereign over everything, even the devil. So Jesus is referring to something something powerful that specifically refers to the intention of God towards lost humanity. The kingdom of God is, is about reigning. It's not about a realm. It's not a place. The uprising of Jesus is about Jesus reigning in you. That's what it's all about. God has always been in control. God has always been over everything. But that's not why Jesus comes to the earth, to kind of take the earth back from the devil, you know, get us to stop using plastic bags, you know, which would be a really, I'm all for it, not using plastic bags. But, you know, it's, it's like that's not what the kingdom of God is about. It's like, okay, well, wait a minute, then if that's not what it's about, what is he after? He's, he's after reigning in our lives. It's about reigning. It's not about realms. It's about in you. Luke 17, verse 20 um, Jesus has to challenge this mentality that, that they had, that we have. Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come with signs to be observed or with visible display, nor will people say, look, here it is, or see, it is there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you, in your hearts, and among you, surrounding you. See, that's that's the power of God. That's where God's kingdom comes. It comes into our lives. For the kingdom of God comes to us to invite us to the reign of Christ in our lives so that we can join the uprising. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he invites us to join in that reign with him. That brings about the rightness of life, the peacefulness of life, and the joy of life for our souls. Now, I know some of you are here today and you're, you're like, wow, this is, this is like 
gone from church 101 to like church 401. I mean, this is way more than I go to church for on a Sunday morning. And I get it. Because in the Bible Belt, we've, we've just broken it down to this. Uh, if you died tonight, do you know where you're, whether you go to heaven or hell? We've broken it all down to what we deal with the problem of sin. Now, those are real things. But it doesn't seem to be the centerpiece of everything. It seems to be about Jesus bringing his kingdom to the earth and in people's lives. And so a lot of us are like, yeah, I don't want to get into the whole kingdom thing. That's a little bit more of Jesus than I want. I'd, you know, just rather go with baby Jesus, you know. Um, I like baby Jesus, like in Talladega Nights, you know. It's like I just want that baby Jesus story, but I don't want grown-up Jesus. But Jesus came to bring his kingdom and for it to be working into our lives. So you may have thought about heaven, and you may have thought about God's purpose for your life. But the plan of God for your life is bigger than just that. And it also has the solution to misery. I wonder if the disciples were like us. And when they started hanging around Jesus, I wonder if they, thought, they, they had in their minds where they thought this whole thing was going. Um, and I think they got a glimpse of it one day when they went up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, will you do us a favor? Will you teach us how to pray you know, they were getting used to Jesus, and they were hearing what Jesus was talking about. They were like, okay, can you teach us how to pray? And I think maybe in their minds, they were like us. They had some expectations about what he was going to teach them. They may have thought that he was going to teach them to pray for all kinds of things like um, success. Uh, or more possessions. Or maybe the prayers were just going to be about sin stuff. Um, or maybe the prayer would be about going to heaven or, or how um, evil is going to be defeated on the planet and, or how the Romans are going to get moved out of Israel or, or the injustice that goes on in the world and how that's going to be dealt with. So they might have had an expectation about what this prayer was going to be like. So, so Jesus says, okay, in order for you to pray right, you need to know what I'm doing right in the earth. So he teaches them this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us into, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I can imagine they're like, oh, wait a minute, no, no, I, was, I wanted you to teach me how to get little Johnny on the soccer team because he's not really good with his right foot. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to get my, my kid into college or get a new job. I want you to, how do I ask for things like that? And all of a sudden when they ask Jesus to teach us to pray, he says, okay, let me just tell you, it's all part of a, uh, this kingdom concept. I want you to pray to our Heavenly Father, that his kingdom will come into your life. I don't see any other Christianity that says, you know, yeah, I'm not going to be a kingdom Christian. I'm just going to be a Bible built Christian. I'm just going to be like a get me out of hell Christian. But, but when we're told to talk to God, when we talk to our Heavenly Father, it's like, let's start with this. Let's talk about my kingdom coming into your life. My reign 
flowing into your life. See, you may want God to deliver you from darkness. And I think what I'm about to say is right. <laughs> you think, well, you're supposed to be always right. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, the way that I'm going to say this, I think it's right. If it's not, conceptually it is right, but let me just say it there. You may want God to deliver you from darkness, but he, he doesn't do it by removing darkness, but by bringing his kingdom into your life. See, we think if God answers prayer, darkness leaves. I don't think that's the model. I think the model is, is that when we ask God's kingdom, to, when we want to be delivered from evil, it's not that evil leaves the earth, and then we use that as a verification that God exists. See, there's less evil in the earth. No, when we want less evil in our lives, the remedy from God is not the destruction of evil, but the arrival of his kingdom. So, if we're having a problem of evil, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, if you're looking to God and praying, God, please get rid of the evil in the world, Jesus would teach you to pray a different way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth, in my earth, in my life, just as it is in heaven. See, I'm not living with a less quotient of evil in my life than the rest of the people in the, on the planet or, or in America. Like, why are you so Pollyanna happy about life? Is your body not wearing out? Oh, it's wearing out. Is, is, are your taxes going up? Oh, yeah, they're going up. You know, are, are, are you getting angry in traffic? You know I'm getting angry in traffic. You know, are, are you concerned about your government? I am very concerned about my government and my culture and the world around us. Well, then, then why aren't you just angry? It's because... The dispelling of evil is not the solution. It's the arrival of the kingdom of God in men and women's hearts. Because when it comes into our hearts, it brings rightness, peacefulness, and joy. And I can live through about anything if I have those. Um, as we move into communion... I, I, th I really believe that I have touched on something, and maybe not for everybody, but I think I've, for some of you, um, you've been waiting for God to take all evil away, and what God's been wanting to do all along is to bring his kingdom into your life. So let me ask you this. Have, have you invited the reign of Christ into your life? And maybe you're here and you say, well, no, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Somebody took me through the Romans road, and that's all good stuff. But it's about the kingdom of God coming in your life. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. Have you invited the reign of Christ? And I know your intrepidation. It's like, Wayne, when you're talking about reign, are we talking about ruling? And are we talking about somebody being in charge other than me? It's exactly what we're talking about. That's, that's where the problem of evil lives. It's in the hearts of people who don't want 
to submit to the reign of Christ in their lives. And I know that's, that's scary, and that means giving up some authority in your life, but if you're feeling scattered, smothered, covered, chunked, topped, diced, and peppered, God's got a solution for you. It's called the kingdom of God. He wants to bring it into your life. If you're here today and you are somebody who understands everything that I'm talking about, are you submitted to it? I mean, are you really submitted to it? I love the verse that Jesus said, talking to his disciples to calm their hearts in Luke 12. He said, fear not, little flock. And he doesn't say, fear not, because I'm going to take evil off of planet Earth. There's going to be no tsunamis, no tectonic plate movement, no weather fronts, no storms, no tornadoes, no wars. He doesn't say, fear not, I'm going to bring utopia to Earth. He says, no, fear not. Why? Because it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I mean, God really gets excited about the idea about giving you and me his kingdom, his rightness, his peace, his joy, and the power of his Holy Spirit. Father, as we enter into this moment, we enter into the great work that you're doing. We don't enter into a realm of God. We enter in this moment into the reign of Christ, and we invite the reign of Christ into each and every one of us. Lord Jesus, reign in my mind. Lord Jesus, reign in my marriage. Lord Jesus, reign in my money. Lord Jesus, reign in my addictions. Lord Jesus, reign in my neighborhood. Lord Jesus, reign in Donald Trump. Lord Jesus, reign in our government. Lord Jesus, we ask that thy kingdom come, thy will be done in people's lives, in my life, my children's lives. Let me invite you. Fear not, everyone here. Trade in your vision of misery for the promise of hope through Jesus Christ our Lord. We invite you to come and receive the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.